0: Welcome to Ms. Interpreted, her podcast of public relations and strategic communications, demystified by Kelly Fletcher and Fletcher Marketing PR.
1: And really that goes to throwing around words that clients may not fully know or understand or how it's tied to their goals. So impressions, for instance, and talking about reach or throwing around acronyms, like. CTR and CPC and AVE, <laughs>
0: AVE, <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> all the different acronyms and, and a client could be sitting there and may not want to speak up and say, Hey, what does that mean?
0: Welcome listeners to the Misinterpreted Podcast. I'm Allison Lester, Director of Media Relations for Fletcher Marketing PR, sitting in for our CEO, Kelly Fletcher today. And myself and our VP, Sarah Merrill are joining you guys today. And Sarah, it's, it's Q4. Fall is here. Pumpkin spice, sweater weather. And we've been kind of looking back over the past year as we, you know, Q4, we so often are planning for the next year and looking back at what has and hasn't worked. And so we've been talking a bit about some of the trends that we've been noticing and the good and, you
1: know, maybe the not so good. so good. (laughs) So
0: today we're going to talk about some of the PR trends that we want to leave in the dust and leave behind as we as we move forward. You have one that's really been grinding your gears.
1: Yes, that's a good way to put it, <laughs> a pet peeve here. And so really the overuse of buzzwords in industry jargon, and this may not seem like a significant trend to leave behind, but if you think about it from the standpoint of clients and what they care about is not buzzwords, it's not ROI. Because when, when I worked in in-house marketing, it used to drive me crazy when the PR or marketing firm would be like, we're delivering ROI, or in their proposal, they'd say, we're going to deliver ROI. And I'd be like, well, what does that mean exactly? How are you going to do that? What are the, the numbers? And how are you going to measure this? And then at the end of the year, when they do their reporting, it's like, okay, well, how come you're not showing me that ROI that you kept? Talking about as a buzzword, and so I I think as PR and marketing professionals, we just have to be really careful about what words we're throwing around and make sure it has meaning for clients. And really, that goes to throwing around words that clients may not fully know or understand or how it's tied to their goals. So impressions, for instance, and talking about reach or throwing around acronyms like. CTR and CPC and AVE, <laughs> A-V-E. <laughs> yeah, all the different acronyms. And, and a client could be sitting there and may not want to speak up and say, hey, what does that mean? Or or they might be feeling like, oh, okay, that that's great. You're throwing all these numbers and acronyms around, but what does that mean for my bottom line? What are you truly delivering? So I think that's where we just need to get back to speaking in plain English and get back to what the true goals are and what we're really achieving here.
0: Which probably looks different for every individual client. You know, I mean, the ROI for one client is going to look different from what it would for another. And using all that jargon, it's like sometimes they hired us because we're the PR people, you know, like they're not supposed to know what impressions are because in their industry, That's not what they're focused on. So yeah, that's a really good point. Well, myself being our our media relations guru, of course, mine are really going to be heavily focused on media relations. And this one is focusing on quality over quantity is what I want to really impress upon our clients and other PR pros is so many PR firms out there and clients as well are are really looking for a media hit quota. Like we want to hit, we want... 35 media hits in Q1 and we want the reach to be over a million. Well, that's all good and well, but so often the quality of the hits is much more important than that quantity is going to be. And I'll use a, a specific example. We have a client that makes ornaments and she and I were talking about our plans for holiday. Obviously holidays is a, is a great time for a company that makes ornaments and for her We think it's a lot smarter to focus on more niche outlets that the viewership is actually interested in buying an ornament rather than getting a placement in a really broad media outlet that may be able to boast a huge reach, but isn't going to see the click-throughs actually result in purchasing of ornaments the way that a smaller niche outlet would. So for her, she has the largest pet ornament collection in the world. So getting a placement in Modern Dog Magazine that has a a reach, as you just mentioned, reaches about 85,000 readers a month. She's going to get a lot more of those 85,000 readers are actually going to buy one of her ornaments than if we were going to get her in... The New York Times, because it's just so broad that we can't guarantee that the people who are reading the New York Times are even interested in buying a corgi ornament. Whereas the people who read Modern Dog, they're probably going to really appreciate the fact that she has multiple different kinds of Cavalier King Charles spaniel ornaments. And so, you know, she understands that. And I think that, that that makes it a lot easier you know, just, it's not always about the big reach and the multiple
1: the multiple hits. And that applies to so many clients too, really no matter what industry they're in, because if it's just media hits for the sake of media hits and it's not a targeted audience, to your point, that's going to buy the product, then really that media hit is insignificant. Right. I and mean, you do a lot of B2B work for us, our business to business work. And for
0: them, it's also very specific to they want to hit a very specific targeted industry, not just blast out to the big wide world out there. I mean, if they're looking specifically for people interested in a specific type of insurance, for instance, right. you know, that's going to be a lot more niche and the reach may be smaller, but it's it's a better reach.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And really, speaking of of measurement, there's, of course, number of media hits and reach with media hits. That's that's one measurement that we have for media relations. But really, the other trends that we want to get away from and leave in the dust is overly complicated metrics or vanity metrics. And so again, and this kind of goes back to our first point too, kind of ties into the buzzwords a little bit. But really, again, our clients typically don't care about having pages of all of these different metrics thrown at them. It's got to be customized to what we're specifically looking to achieve. And we've got some great resources now like GA4, all these great different insights that we can gain from the various software programs that we have. But the client doesn't always need to see every single one that we can throw out there in these all these different reports with tons of charts. And so sometimes simple is a little better in that regard. And we want to be careful too that we're not just putting metrics out there that have no impact. So impressions, for instance, that is, is a metric that is really no longer on trend since you're looking at the number of times that the content was displayed and may have been viewed. Right. <laughs> so you don't even know if people actually saw it. And there's there's better metrics that can be utilized. And so that's where we really have to be discerning and just throwing out numbers that make it look good. And that's where what we like to call the, the vanity metrics. But then there's also... Vanity awards. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, that's another thing that we look to leave in the dust because, again, it's something that doesn't provide real value. So, sure, you can convince a client or if you're in in in-house marketing, you can convince your executive team that, hey, we need to pay $1,500 so that we can be named an editor's pick for this magazine or so that we can be named you know, one of the top businesses in the food and beverage category or whatever it is. And of course, like it may sound good in theory, but again, you're losing that, the credibility factor because it is paid for and people can tell when it's something that was paid.
0: And we get these in our inbox all the time that are like just $1,200 and and your business can be on this list of Best Small Businesses, Inc. or whatever. It's, Kelly's always rolling her eyes at those.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, you know, a couple more trends that, that we have that really were at one point real trends that were a best practice in public relations. and And that is hiding and burying negative news and negative reviews. And so back in the day especially when, gosh, I, I remember way back when, again, when I was in in-house marketing, if someone left a negative view, the rationale was that you just you just try to get more positive reviews, you don't respond to it, you just ignore it, and hopefully people won't notice and it'll go away. Or you have an article in the news that involves some sort of consumer displeasure. Or perhaps it was like a reputation issue with a company leadership. And so it was just, just that mindset of, let's ignore it and it'll go away. Let's not draw attention yeah, to ignore it. ignore it and bury <laughs> the bad with the good. Just pile exactly. more good on top yeah. of the bad. Yeah. yeah. And so, but now we're finding that it works so much better to go ahead and respond to the negative review. Because then people see that you care enough to respond to that person and take the time to solve the situation. And a lot of times that negative review can be turned into a positive review by fixing it. And other people see that who are reading reviews. And so same with with negative news. You know, we've had clients in the past who sometimes it's inevitable. You're in business long enough. You may have some kind of issue come up that winds up in the news. And we've worked with these clients to pursue more positive opportunities to address the issues that happened and to talk about it and what they're doing to change and to improve. And that's just so much more powerful than simply ignoring it. I mean, just think about the way
0: that you shop and the way that you consume goods online. I mean, all of us go and read reviews. And There are so many reviews out there that negative reviews are inevitable. I mean, you cannot please everyone. So someone's always going to be unhappy. But I always feel better about a brand when I can see... That they have responded and, and, oh, you know, we're really sorry to read that. Contact us here and we'll we'll get you a replacement. Or, you know, if it's a hotel and they're responding and saying, contact us here for a discount on your next day. Or we have taken that and we are now going and fixing that room, whatever issue you have with that room. It always makes me feel better about, about booking. And kind of dovetailing off of that is a little bit more extreme than just negative reviews. And that's the crisis piece of it. But it's the same approach. I mean, one of the trends that we, especially with with some company cultures, was always to ignore it, say nothing, hope that the media doesn't notice when a crisis happens to your brand. And now it is almost impossible for bad news to happen and no one to say anything. I mean, there's there's multiple different social media platforms. Everyone has a camera running at all times. So even if it doesn't get picked up by a major media outlet, it's going to be out there. And so sitting back and waiting to see if we need to react to a crisis is no longer the way to approach it. You have to be proactive. You have to have your messaging already ready to go. One thing that we talk to our clients about when it comes to crisis communication is if you leave a void, people are going to fill the void with whatever information they come up with on their own. And you don't want that. You want to control the message. Even if it's not great, you want to be able to control how we spin it, for lack of a a better word, control the messaging, control the information, because if you don't, someone else is just going to fill the void with things that may not even be true, and it'll get worse and worse than the reality. So being honest, being upfront, being transparent, falling on your sword when it comes to crisis communication, those are all much better approaches than staying in the dark, keeping your mouth shut, and letting other people fill in the facts for you, true or not true.
1: Yeah, that is a great point about that, because sometimes that is just exactly right. Yeah, What comes out of that void can be so much worse. Right,
0: exactly. (laughs) And so untrue. And, you know, we have another, we have a client that we've worked with on on crisis communication, and there's also a tail to the crisis. So, you know, once you approach the immediate crisis, that's when you start to do the whole fill with good. That is still a good strategy, but It's not one instead of the other. You know, you still have to address the crisis. You still have to address the negative news and the negative reviews. And then you use media relations and positive PR to then try and fill Google and search results with also positive news, highlighting all of the wonderful things that your brand is doing, highlighting all of the wonderful reviews that your brand has but not ignoring the fact that there are also some negatives and addressing just, hey, we're working on the negatives, we're working on this crisis, but hey, look at all this great stuff as well. I have a couple of more that are obviously media relations focused, um, and these are really pitch focused. The first one is we know that the software companies try and sell you on how easy it is to write a pitch and mass send it through their software it does not work. Don't do it. First of all, so many different outlets have spam blockers that they can tell that your email is coming from agility or meltwater or muckrack or whatever you use. And it'll go straight to their junk email and the journalist will never even see it. Second of all, as a former journalist here speaking, we know, we know when we're one of a 100 different people that you've pitched the story to, and that makes it less appealing, not because we need to feel special as journalists, but because we want the story to be special. You know, journalists thrive on exclusivity, originality, unique stories, because that's what's clickable. If, if everyone has the same story, you're going to get fewer clicks. And so if a journalist feels like, well, they've already pitched this out to a 1,000 other journalists— Why are they going to pick that up? They're thinking to themselves, this is going to be everywhere because they pitched it out in a mass pitch. So really take the extra time to personalize the pitches. This goes back to what I said earlier about quality over quantity as well. Throwing a bunch of pitches at the wall to see what fits and what sticks rather is not going to be as effective as individually honing in on 20 journalists that you really think are a great fit for your brand, that you really want to cover your story. Not just, hey, they have a great reach. I know nothing about them, but, you know, we'll see if we can get the reach because I need it for my quota. But finding someone who's like, this person really aligns with the brand. What they write about is so on par with what our brand is looking for. This is who we need. And then really personalizing those pitches and telling them like, hey, I saw this story that you did. And I think that you would be a great writer for this story. Or I think that your viewers, because of these other things that you have written about, I think your viewers would be really interested in this brand. I've even sometimes mentioned like, hey, I I really enjoy following your Twitter. I really enjoy the content that you put out there. And I think that this would be a good fit. So definitely super, super personalized pitches. And the other thing is don't overcomplicate it everything doesn't have to be an in-depth press release. Sometimes it's just a pitch. And if it's just a pitch, just make it a pitch. It doesn't need to be this overly produced press release that's really wordy and verbose. Especially if if you're doing your job well, you should already have relationships with some of the journalists. And so getting an email from you or a text from you in their inbox that's like, hey, I've got a great story Here's the lowdown. What do you think is going to be a lot better than good morning, sir and madam. Three paragraphs later, 17 internal links, you know, it's 12 attachments. So just, just be real if it's a pitch. Now, if it's a news release for a big corporation, you've got a media event, something like that, then there is a place for the good morning, sir, madam type, although I would never put that in the in the greeting, but there is a place for those more professional news releases that do contain a lot of information, but I would still say keep it brief. People are busy. Journalists get flooded with hundreds, some thousands of emails on a daily and weekly basis. Bold what's important, highlight what's important, and make sure that they can skim Skim the email and see the important information, because if if they open an email and it's four paragraphs, I'm just going to be honest, they're they're never even going to get through it. But if you've got like four facts bolded, like when, what, why, where, and then there's a whole lot of other information in there, kind of lower down. Once they need it, that's okay. But you really make it concise, make it succinct, make it easy for the journalist to digest. And if it's just a pitch, keep it casual.
1: Yeah. And I like what what you said about the casual part, because we have a a team member whose pitches I just would love to read because she works in in the news and broadcast television. And so she gets it because she receives pitches. And so it was so fun because she would, they were almost had some fun aspects to them. And they were kind of fun and casual to the point of like, oh, I, I remember we had a we had one client who had like a a celebrity that was supporting one of their efforts, but the celebrity was not available for interviews. And so so she had mentioned this in her pitch and was like, Yeah, don't we all want to have that person yeah. <laughs> on here though? We get it. Yeah. We get it. And it was like, you know, just having that that nature and being like, you know, we it helps develop that that relationship, catches their attention. And so
0: also just being able to tell them exactly what you can offer them. I mean, if you're pitching to a broadcast market, visuals are very important. And this is another thing about pitches and emails. Always include visuals. I mean, unless the story is just completely unvisual, in which case you should be pitching it to a newspaper, not a broadcast outlet, but always include the visuals. And I know that high res images are beautiful, but just copy and paste a good old-fashioned picture into the body of the email. Don't make them go download a high-res image somewhere else. You can always include a link to a gallery that they can go get the high-res images if they want to do a story and they need the nice, big, pretty pictures. But to just give them an example to catch their attention in the email, just paste that sucker right in there. And tell them, like, hey, here's what I can give you. I've already got three different people who can interview. The visuals are going to be great. This is why um, I've got great B-roll that, I, that I've i included in a link here if you want to look at it so that they know that you're, I mean, if I always used to call them silver platter stories when a PR person would send us something in the newsroom that's like, hey, I've got the B-roll. I've got the people lined up. Here are three different uh, resources that you can cite beyond the PR agency. Stories made. I mean, what reporter doesn't want that as long as it's you know a good story
1: yeah that was a great point and yeah b-roll is is something that we need to talk about more when we talk about not trends to leave in the dust but trends to pursue yes. going into 2024 especially building that but yeah we we've really enjoy getting the chance to talk about the trends that have been present for a while within the industry but like we talked about It's fall, time for some fall cleaning, time to leave those trends behind and instead look towards some of the other solutions, tactics, opportunities that that we discussed here today. So thank you for joining us. And you can follow Fletcher Marketing at Twitter via our handle at Fletcher PR. You can also follow Kelly Fletcher, our CEO, at KD. Fletcher on Twitter, and you can follow the Twitter hashtag, which is hashtag misinterpreted and that's M-S-interpreted. So everyone, thanks for tuning in and until next time.
0: Thanks for joining us on Misinterpreted, Public Relations Demystified. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at FletcherMarketingPR.com and on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll see you next time.